good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526, and we will try to get you an answer any question you might have. That's Anything right. on your mind. Beautiful Saturday morning. Time oh, to get a question answered. It is. Man, this is the height of life in South Louisiana right here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous morning out there. And remember, if you happen to be outside of our normal calling area, you can add a 225 to the front of that, and that'll get you to us from anywhere in the continental United States. That's right, and we'd really like to hear from you this morning. Absolutely. If you call from out of town, just let our producer know, and whoever calls in the furthest distance will get a free Agco t-shirt, USPS to them. First thing Monday morning. First thing out of the box, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and we have got Aaron online. Good morning, Aaron. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, Good great, morning. sir. Yeah, I'm calling from up here in the frozen tundra of Minnesota. Oh, wow, man. You right. are in the frozen tundra. Right. And I listen to the show every week on the podcast. Oh, work, great. So Thank really, you. Really, really like it. Good deal. I've got a 2010 Corolla uh-huh. that I bought. It was a year old from the Toyota dealer. Okay. It came with the 18-inch Toyota racing wheels they okay. had put on it at the dealer. Yes, sir. And it's got 225, 4018 directional tires on it. Mm-hmm. I've got about 15,000 miles on those tires. Okay. And with about that mileage on it, they're wearing pretty good on the insides on all four corners, kind of getting a little bit choppy. Mm -hmm. But now that I've got my snow tires on there with the stock wheels and the 195, 65, 15s on there, Mm -hmm. I've got about 15,000 miles on those tires and they're wearing almost perfect. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of wondering with the factory do they kind of put like an alignment on those with like a size of tire in mind is that yes sir exactly you're exactly right aaron when toyota engineered the car they engineered it for a certain size tire and also a certain offset wheel when the dealer went in and installed the wheel they didn't Mm -hmm. go back and re-engineer the car they just thought it looked cool so they stuck them on and there's going to be some ramifications for that because when you change the offset of the wheel or you change the height of the wheel or any of that you change the alignment requirements Now, unfortunately, you change them to an unknown because Mm -hmm. when Toyota engineered the car, they put it on a test track, they rolled it so many miles, they put this in there, they put that in there, and so on. When you make a change to that, you change all that to an unknown variable. Now, if you go to the website, there's actually two articles, and one is why do my tires still wear after alignment, and it will go into this in great detail you have basically two different types of alignment. You have what they call static alignment, which is what they set at the dealership or tire store. But it's also what they call dynamic alignment, which is what you have going down the road. Now, that's engineered into the car. And the static alignment is set to achieve the dynamic alignment. Okay. However, when you change the wheels and all that, you're going to change to where when you set the static alignment to where it used to be, it's not going to have the right dynamic alignment. The only thing that you can really do is sort of a trial and error type of thing where if you can find somebody locally who's real sharp with alignment, they may be able to adjust the camber slightly higher, adjust the toe maybe a little bit more in. Both of those will throw wear more to the outside of the tire. But unfortunately, without $10 million worth of test equipment and all the algorithms that the engineers used, it would be impossible for anyone to say this is where you're going to have to set it. You're just going to have to kind of read the tire and then tweak from there. And it's just right. kind of part of the problem you get into when a dealership takes it on itself to re-engineer your car. Right, right, right. So if they were to go back in alignment, they maybe could try and find like a happy medium. They will have with- to, yes, sir. I doubt very seriously that you'll find anyone in a dealership able to do that. You're probably right, going right. to have to find like a wheel alignment chassis specialist 
And right. I'm sure you've got them locally. Even if you're mm-hmm. in a small town, you may have to go to a bigger town. But almost every town is going to have one guy there who really understands alignment. And sure. if you go to the site and just kind of peruse, you'll go and do a search on wheel alignment, and there's probably mm-hmm. 10 or 15 stories in there on alignment. Read okay. through those, and you will have probably more knowledge than 90% of the people in the field. When you okay. start talking okay. to the guy, you'll know what to talk to him about. And if you're getting the right answers, then you know you got the right guy. Sure, sure. No, I understand. All righty. Okay. No, I think that pretty much answers it. Oh, great, Aaron. Hey, hang on. I'm going to let the producer get your name and your address and your size preference, and I'll get an Agco T-shirt out to you Monday morning. All right. Sounds great. Thanks Th- so much, Thanks, Aaron. Guys. Bye-bye. Um, bye-bye. 499-9526 is the number. Oops, I'm, I'm sorry, Aaron. I cut you off. If you call right back and give them that information, I'll be sure to get that T-shirt out to you. Still pushing the wrong buttons. I am. You know, I've only been doing this for, I don't know, 23, 24 <laughs> years. I hadn't quite got those buttons figured out yet. So, yeah, uh, well, it's not yeah. like they're changing a whole lot. Here yeah, later. but one says whole, one says off. You know? Yeah, they're labeled and everything. <laughs> what you going to do? There you go. So anyway. It's a great question. Yeah, very, very good question and very applicable. We see that quite a bit. A lot of times folks will come in and they don't realize that the dealer has modified the car. Right. And what they'll say is, oh, no, I bought the car this way. Well, you very well may have bought the car that way, but there's probably at least three levels of things that can happen to your car once it leaves the factory. Exactly. The first is what they call the port options, and that is the port at which the car comes into the United States. A lot of times, I know in southeastern United States, we have the Port of Houston, which uh-huh. is a huge, huge, huge port, one of the largest in the country, if not the world. And they will order cars a lot of times through there. And because of tax laws and one thing or another, they may order it as a sort of a stripped-down version, order it with certain options. And then they will install them at the port. Right. Because it's less expensive for them to modify the car at the port than it is to, to buy, it that, buy it that way and have it brought in the country that way. One of the things they like to do is change wheels and tire options. That's a really easy swap for them because all you do is unbolt it, bolt the new set on, and the car looks totally different. Exactly right. And because people kind of like customized things, they can sell those cars generally for a premium price. I know locally they'll build what they call an LSU Tiger Edition vehicle. Uh-huh. And maybe it's painted purple and gold or you know has different type of LSU trim. Maybe the seat covers have little LSU logos. Well, all that was done locally by the dealership. Maybe they sent it out and had it done, but it's not a factory option, even though you bought the car that way. Right. And now they can sell it, like you say, for a premium price because it's different. That's right. And when you get a dealer-installed option where they've changed wheels and tires, depending on how much research they did, what they knew, and how drastically they changed it, you can pick up problems that you just can't readily solve. Exactly. You can actually look inside the door post. The tires and wheels that the vehicle comes with should be listed as much as if they put a different set on, there will also be a label there stating that. That's right. It's called a door placard, and it will list the original size, wheel, tire, and all that that came with the vehicle. If you look at that and the, or what's on your vehicle is different, then most likely they've been changed either at the dealership or at the port. Exactly. That happens quite a bit. I know we had a lady call with a Chrysler product and she needed some tires and I asked her, I said, well, check the size tire and let me know. And so she went and looked on the door tag Uh and on the door tag, I don't know, it was just say a 225, 60, 15 or something like that. Right. So we priced her on that and went and got that. And when the car came in, what it had was like a 245, 50, 16. Correct. And it didn't match the door placket because She said, well, I bought the car like this This is the way I got it. But either the dealer or the port had changed the wheel tire size. 
So something you got to kind of watch out for, and particularly if they make a drastic change, as they did in Aaron's case, right? where they go from maybe a 15 all the way to an 18, 18. and then they change the width of the wheel. And you have width of a wheel. You also have offset of a wheel. Correct. Offset is where the center line of the wheel falls in relation to the pivot point of the suspension. Uh-huh. And when you change that, you will drastically change the alignment requirements of the car. Right. That's something you'd have to have fine-tuned in. That's know, right. Kind of a trial and error thing after that. Right. You change it to an unknown. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. You take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. We have an anonymous caller here from the D.C. area. You're on the air. Oh, uh, yes, Mike. I have some serious debt issues. Okay. Let's say I'm in charge of this really big company, and we have this deficit. You know, I thought with the world ending, we'd be okay, but... That didn't happen, and I need some cash. I maxed out all my credit cards, but that barely made a dent. Well, sounds like you need to be on a strict budget, and the first thing I tell you is to make sure you're not wasting money on big-time car repairs. Regular preventative maintenance with Agco Automotive is the key to saving money in the long run and a good way to pay off debt. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Any other advice? You should look into selling your house and downsizing. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Between Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us calls? 499-9526. And every single one of our lines is open right now. Perfect time to call in. That's right. And should you... Maybe not want to be on the air today or think of something after the show goes off the air. That's right. You can always get your questions answered on our website. The address is www.agcoauto.com. You can take the acronym Altazan's Garage Company. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. That's right. That'll get you to our site. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours. Well, most, most of the time sooner. That's exactly right. And we've been doing a tremendous amount of work on that site uh, recently and added a number of new features, and we'll continue to add a number of new features over the next couple of months. One thing you'll notice, there's now a comment and feedback section at uh-huh. the bottom. And basically, it's an additional contact form to go along with the regular vehicle question contact form. And it's just a little bit easier for you to fill out, whereas it doesn't ask for vehicle information. And okay. if you have a question about your car you need to use the traditional contact form but if you just have a comment on the site or you just want to leave some feedback or a suggestion or whatever this one is much 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 more streamlined you don't even have to put your email address in if you if you don't want an answer back let's say you just want to send hey i think you're a jerk yeah, <laughs> yeah okay or hey i think you're pretty good either way you can just go in there type in your name or some anonymous name whatever you want to do <laughs> your neighbor's name or something. your neighbor's name there you go your, your boss's name Type in your comment, hit the button, and it'll send it to me. And like I said, if you don't put an email address on there, I won't be able to reply to you. So right. just keep that in mind. But it's sort of a streamlined form to allow you to make suggestions, report errors, report things maybe that you'd like to see. Uh-huh. Like, hey, I'd like a story on such and such. Or I'd like more information on this, that, or the other. Just gives you a quick, fast, and easy way to do that, and it sends it straight over to me. 
like I said, you can add your email address if you want, and that way I will reply to you. But if you don't, no big deal. So right. it just gives you sort of an anonymous way to leave feedback on the site. Great. And another really cool feature that was added actually yesterday afternoon, fairly late, it went online. When you go to the detailed topics now and you select the one you want, if you look in the left-hand column, it will bring up a little list, and it says you may also like. Okay. And it'll be five additional stories on similar topics. Gotcha. And those are really cool for instance, we put an article on this morning on the vacuum EVAP system, and that sounds like a mouthful, but evaporative emission systems are the system on your car that sucks the fumes out of the gas tank and allows the gas tank to vent. And that causes probably more check engine lights than anything else. It does, because it's, I say, recently new. 2000, they went to advanced EVAP, advanced, which is right. what they're using now. They've had EVAP systems for many years before that. But it just creates a lot of problems because it's a very sensitive system. So a lot of the check engine lights you get are going to be that. And a lot of people, when they see an EVAP code, of course, parts stores are going to tell me the gas gap. And they sure. put a gas gap, still light's going to be on. This will explain why, how it works, some of the things that are in there, some of the tests that are run, why the light comes on sometimes, goes, goes off, off sometimes. All of that, it even explains the different codes and what sets them, the criteria for running the, the uh, test. readiness test and uh -huh. all that. It's a pretty involved article Longer than most that we write with a lot of illustrations and showing you pictures. And it leads into next week's topic, which will be a pressure EVAP system. Okay. Because there's two methods of testing, and they're kind of interspersed among the car makers. GM and Ford and most of your Japanese and Asian manufacturers use a vacuum system. Chrysler and most European and some Japanese use a pressure system. Correct. Which are totally, not totally different, but sort ways of different to ways to go about doing the same thing. And they generate different codes. They operate different. But this week, we'll show you all about the vacuum evap system. Next week, we'll be on the pressure evap system. But let's say you click on that article. Over to the left, it's going to bring up, you may also like, and it'll be articles on check engine lights on other topics. So you can click on those, and again, that'll bring up more. Right. So it's a rotating list of five other articles that match the same keywords. And so it's just kind of a really cool feature. Our web guru, Vladin in Serbia actually yeah. does this for He and I have become pretty good friends over the years. That's great. And he's a just a whiz when it comes to programming this kind of stuff. And either I or he will dream up an idea, and then we talk back and forth, and then before you know it, it pops up on the site. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, a couple things to look for. While you're on there, of course, there's tons of other things. You can win a free Agco T-shirt by playing the Agco Auto Quick Quiz. Uh-huh. And just tons of other things. You'll actually get tired of looking around, I think, for you run out things to look at. <laughs> Most definitely. So pop on there, see what you think. I think you'll really like it. And we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Ken online. Good morning, Ken. How you doing, Mr. Officer? Doing great, sir. i got a question for you. I've got a 2006 Toyota Tundra. Okay. Four-wheel drive, club cab. Questions about adjusting the back brakes or drum brakes. Yes, sir. I noticed that when I had the fuse changed out that seemed like all I had was front brakes there for a while. Okay. And so I looked through some kind of source or another and noticed there's a little grime that you pull on. Backing plate. Back plate, and uh, you begin to, you know, adjust the little thing with a screwdriver. You or can, whatever. yes, sir. Mm -hmm. How far or how do you know when you've adjusted it? A real good rule of thumb, Ken, if you've got the tire on the car, give that tire a good hard spin with your hand. It ought to make about a half to three-quarters of a revolution by itself and then stop. And that's going to be pretty close. If it continues to spin, then it's way too loose. If it does not make a half a turn, it's too tight. And that's going to put you pretty close. In the shop, we've actually got an instrument that measures the shoe, measures the drum, and we set them about 15,000 clearance. In fact, if you go on the website and just 
type in the search bar drum break. It's going to bring up an article all about this. shows you how they work, how to adjust them, how to keep them working. Because there's two different types of brakes they use. Most people aren't aware of that. But you have either leading trailing or dual servo. And depending on what you got, the self-adjusting procedure is different. But pop on in and read that article. Also, make sure, Ken, wherever metal touches metal, like where the shoes touch the backing plate, there's a high-temperature grease that's supposed to be in there. And a lot of shops do not put that on. And what it'll do is it'll cause the shoes to dig into that backing plate, cause some little grooves, which will give you just untold problems in the future with brakes locking up and all kind of other foolishness. And shops are bad about cleaning all that up when they do the brakes, putting the shoes on dry. So this article goes into depth on that topic as well. Well, I certainly appreciate it, Mr. Alton. All right, Ken, we appreciate your call, man. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. Good question. Very good question. That's something a lot of folks do not realize is how to adjust rear brakes. And and the thing about it is most of your small cars don't have drum brakes anymore. Right, they most of them four-wheel deal, so it's kind of a, almost a lost art. But right. uh, more and more, we're starting to see drum brakes They again. are starting to come back. Yeah, they stop real well, for one thing. They do. Hey, we got Phillips on the line. Good morning, Phillips. Good morning. I always appreciate your show. And the question I have this morning is, I've gotten, well, I bought two cars at the same time, and now the three-year warranty is rolling over. Yes, sir. And gotten towards from the manufacturer about taking it in to have our train checkup, that sort of thing. Okay. How important is that, or is that just a way to get you in the shop? It could be both, depending on the intent of the guy making the offer. You know, I went to a sales course one time years ago, and the instructor said the difference in a salesman and a con man is intent. And it's kind of the same thing here. There is maintenance that you can do, and the definition of maintenance is something that you spend a little bit of money on that prevents something that costs a whole lot of money. That's the true definition of maintenance. But you got to watch because a lot of dealerships, in my experience, have perverted that into a money-making opportunity. And you go in, and they will try to sell you things that are not truly maintenance, like an injector flush or an upper intake cleaning or those types of things. We group those into a category called wallet flushes. And they're real real popular because they're very profitable, but they really don't do any good. That all being said, there are things that do need to be done on the car. For instance, the coolant needs to be changed at generally a maximum of five years on the first fill and three years on each additional fill. If you don't do that, the pH will fall to a certain point. It becomes corrosive and it starts attacking the metal in the system. Now, if you don't do it, you can wait to six or seven years and then put a radiator and put a heater core and put intake gaskets, or you can just change the coolant. Another category would be changing the fluid and filtering the automatic transmission. Again, it's not going to stop running if you don't do it, but what's going to happen when you get to 100,000 miles, it's going to start slipping and burn up the transmission. So to save $150 service, you pay $3,500 for a transmission. So right. it's, it's those kinds of things. But you got to kind of know what things you need, or you have to go to somebody that you trust and you know that you can trust. What right. I recommend on vehicles, which I think is just a lot easier than trying to remember $15,000, $30,000, and all that, we have a service called a general inspection. And what I recommend is once a year, just pick a month. It doesn't matter what month, whatever's convenient for you. Once a year, bring the car in. We do a general inspection. That will check everything on the car, tell you what you need, tell you what things need to be done, and we do those things. In other words, I don't believe in this a list of things. We do this on every car because some cars are not going to need all those things. Other cars are going to need additional things. So what you want is someone who will inspect the car and then tell you what things you actually need on your car. 
Now, if you're the kind of person who enjoys keeping up with all that, keeping track, I've got some folks who self-direct their maintenance. In other words, they go in, they read the manual, they familiarize themselves. Every so many miles, they'll come in and say, do this, do this, do this. And that's great. But most people don't like doing all that. And so what they do is they bring it in once a year. We review all the maintenance for them. We give them a complete list. And if you do it once a year, what you're going to find is probably every other year, you're not going to have hardly anything to do. And maybe every two years, you'll have a little bit more to do. But that's kind of the way that I recommend. Go to our website and just click on About Maintenance, and it will explain this to you in every kind of detail you can ever hope for. But it's just a matter of becoming proactive rather than waiting for repairs, waiting for stuff to break and then fixing them. What you're doing is you're starting to prevent stuff, and it's just much, much more cost-effective to do it that way. And if you have something going on, you can catch it right now early. Right. Prevent breakdowns and all that sort of thing. Right. So to answer your question, it is a great question, and the answer is probably yes, both, because I've seen an awful lot of places you go in, and they're going to give you a long list of stuff, which is not maintenance at all. It's just a way for them to make money. But if you can find the right guy, and there's another article in there called How to Find a Great Shop on the first page of the site. So we hope you'll come to us, but if you don't, there's lots of other good shops. And if you read that article, it'll kind of get you to somebody who can help you. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. You guys sound like you got your PhD in, in what you do. <laughs> the School of Hard Knocks, 40 years right. of doing it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. All right, man, thanks, Colin. Take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I feel terrible. Wow, what'd you do? I maxed out all of my credit cards, bought over 200 pairs of shoes, didn't shave my legs for 60 days, and ate primarily chocolate and brie the entire month of December. My stomach's still not quite right. Well, in addition to lots of salads, one thing I can recommend to help recoup some money is to take your car to Agco Automotive. Agco's experienced technicians provide you a quote and then stick to that price so you're never surprised by higher cost. And Agco fixes vehicles right the first time. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Oh. So, no fruits or veggies for an entire month? Do strawberry Pop-Tarts count as fruit? No, not last time I checked. Now the noise of the river to ride. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. But I can't keep punching with Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. Got all our lines wide open. Be really thrilled to hear from you. Just give us a call. We'll try to help you out and get you some information. That's right. Right now is a great time because we still got a few more minutes. Oh, we got a whole bunch of time, man. We got half the show left. <laughs> <laughs> all the time in the world. There you go. <laughs> give us a call. Got like people in life, you know, I got all the time in the world. <laughs> then one day you wake up, you're 70 years old. He's like, whoa, <laughs> where did it all go, man? <laughs> or you don't wake up. Or you don't wake up, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, that's my old man's favorite say. He says, yeah, I get up every morning, read the obituaries. If I ain't in there, then I go on about my day. That's yeah. it. <laughs> If I am, I just got to take a little different tack. So, <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Stephanie online. Good morning, Stephanie. Hi. I have a 95 Dodge Dakota Sport. For some reason, it doesn't want to go into overdrive. Okay. What does it do, Stephanie? The overdrive light comes on. Okay. Now, when you say it doesn't go into overdrive, is it just light coming on or is it actually doing something else? Is it doing something else, like is the motor racing up or is it just the overdrive lights coming on? It just doesn't go into the last gear. 
Okay, well, see, the overdrive light is sort of like the check engine light for the transmission. So whenever there's a malfunction, that light is going to come on. And you need to determine whether it's not going into overdrive. It may just not be going into lockup, which would be a whole different thing. Also, it can stick in second gear, which is what they call a limp mode. And there's just a huge, huge number of things that can do that. Most of them are outside of the transmission. For instance, any kind of an electrical problem in the vehicle can set it in limp mode because the computer that controls the shift points gets confused. When it gets confused, what it will do is put it in second gear because it knows you can take off in second gear and you can still get home in second gear. So it's a limp mode, limp home. If you turn the key off, turn it back on, it generally will reset until the problem occurs again. And that may be what you got. Now, if you're truly not going into overdrive, then there's a number of things that can cause that. Of course, the most obvious is that the overdrive gear is stripped out in the transmission, but that's not the only thing. could be something as simple as the engine thermostat if the engine is not getting the full temperature. Some vehicles will lock out overdrive until they get to 180 degrees. So it could be something as simple as not getting the full temperature can lock it out of overdrive. And, of course, a number of other things. A uh, throttle position sensor that's bad, not giving it the right signal can do that. A vehicle speed sensor, on and on and on. What you would have to do is read the codes that are in the transmission control computer. And when that OD light's flashing, there's going to be a code set. That's different from the codes in the PCM that you can get, like, something to read. This is something that you're going to have to get professional that has the right equipment to do. But once you read that code, it'll tell you the circuit that is causing the problem. And then from then, you can diagnose what it is that's causing it. And what you don't want to do is get the battery unhooked or anything, lose the voltage to the system. Because right. if you do, you will lose all the information that the shop needs to address right. the if, if they problem. clear the code out, then all the, all the data that you need to fix it is gone. Sometimes the only other thing it does is it decides it doesn't want to idle sometimes. Yeah, that, again, could be a number of different things. That could be something like the throttle position sensor, which would cause both of those problems. That will keep it from idling properly. And, again, it could be two separate problems. You could have a bad idle servo and a transmission problem, or you could have an electrical problem bringing it all on. Again, kind of same answer. You're going to have to get it to someone who can read the code, see what circuits are causing it, and then just do a little bit of detective work to isolate the actual problem. And I'm sorry, I think I lost her there, but if you didn't get your full answer, you can always send me an email, and I'll be glad to get a little bit more in-depth information. But that's kind of the way that has to be done. If the OD light is flashing, there's a code stored, and there's a lot of people don't realize there are multiple computers on their car. Oh, yes. You have the power control module, which is, I want to say, it's not really the main computer, but it's the one that runs the engine. Uh-huh. And some of them also run the transmission, although some of them have, like it's Chrysler separate. has a separate transmission control computer. Correct. Then, of course, you have a body control module. You may have a chassis control module. You may have an ABS module, wiper control module. Some cars have a lighting control module. The instrument cluster. IPC, the instrument cluster. Radio. You know, it goes on and on Right. And there on. may be 40 or 50 computers on your car that are all talking to each other. And when the check engine light comes on, that generally indicates that a code is stored in the power control module. Correct. And that reason that does that is because that affects vehicle emissions. So the EPA mandates that that has a warning light that comes on to tell the driver, hey, you got to get this in. Right. But there are a number of things that do not do that. One is a transmission computer. Because that is not going to be a emissions-related code, it's not going to necessarily turn check engine light on, although it may, particularly if it will affect emissions, it may turn the light on. Uh-huh. 
But some of them will flash the overdrive light at you to let you know that, hey, there's a problem in the transmission. I know Ford and Chrysler will do that. General Motors does not. GM sets a hard code in the PCM generally. Right. And then turn the key off. Then you kind of reset it. When you turn the key back right. on, it resets, the light goes out. Yeah, and you it know, doesn't lose the information right, on a modern it. car. It stores it as a history code so we can still get it, but then it moves it out of the active memory so the light may go off. It uh-huh. doesn't mean the problem's solved. It just means it's been moved to history. The next time the problem occurs, then the light's going to come back on. Right, and there's various set of parameters that the vehicle has to have to run the test to turn the light on or off. Well, that's right. And so, you go in and you read that article on EVAP codes it will tell you about the tests that are necessary to run the EVAP code and just kind of familiarize yourself with how all this stuff works. But it's the same thing with a transmission. Now, some codes are what they call one-trip codes, some are two-trip codes, and some are even three-trip codes. Now, with a two-trip code, a fault has to occur two times in one drive cycle before the light will come on. Right. In other words, when it occurs the first time, rather than turn the light on, it sets a pending code. And then it starts to watch it. If it occurs a second time within one drive cycle, then the light comes on. Now, if it occurs and it's watching it and you turn the switch off before it occurs again, it does not come on. Mm -hmm. It's in memory as a pending code, but it does not come on. Next time you drive it, if you don't drive far enough, it may set one time and then turn off. So you may not ever see light even though you've got a problem. Right. A three-trip code has to occur three times in one drive cycle. And a lot of codes are that way. For instance, most EVAP codes on Ford and GM are two-trip codes. They have to occur two times in a single drive cycle before they'll turn the light on. You know, the first time it occurs, it starts to watch. The second time it occurs, then it kicks the light on. And some of the parameters for running that test, the outside temperature has to be a certain level, and it has to generally be below 90 degrees to, to run the EVAP test because if it's too hot – the fuel is starting to evaporate, and it builds up volatility, which means it raises the pressure in the tank, and it can't get a good reading. Another right. thing is it has to be below a certain speed, because if you're jouncing down the road, it changes that reading. Right. And another, the other thing, another thing, would be the fuel level. It has, it has to, to have, be between a quarter and three-quarters of a tank right. of fuel to run this test. And on some of the small evap leak tests, it actually has to be between a half and three-quarters. Uh-huh. And some of them, like on the Chrysler products, it has to be below 86 degrees and below a certain altitude. So right. if you live in the high country or if you live in South Louisiana where it's 90 degrees. Right, when you wake up in the morning. It may go months without ever running that test. Exactly. So you could have a problem and light will not come on just because you haven't met the parameters. Uh-huh. But that's kind of the way that testing works. So. A lot of people say, well, you know, light went out, so everything's okay. Right. No, 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 not necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) And also a lot of people believe that if a light goes out, then you can't find the problem. And on old, old cars, that was the case. Once the light went out, it kind of cleared. Right. And you could not retrieve the information. But on everything, I would say post-1996, after OBD2, it's going to store that data, and it will be in history. for It, It will be retrievable with the proper equipment. As long as the codes have not been cleared or no one's disconnected the battery. Once you do that, you lose all the information, and exactly. you really can't find the problem at that point. Exactly. And we're going back to phone lines with Kelly. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. I have a 2010 Ford F-150 All right, diesel. sir. Yes, sir. And it's the one that got all climate controls. It's yes, sir. dual climate where left and passenger side and driver side, you can control the temperature separate. Yes, right. sir. Mm-hmm. On the passenger side, if you turn the temperature above... 60 degrees, which 60 is the lowest setting. Yes, sir. The blend door opens all the way up 
to where, like, as if you turn the temperature all the way up. Okay. Does it sound like a sensor bat or a door? No, almost always that's going to be the actuator, Kelly, because the actuator keeps track of the home position and the counts. I mean, it's barely possible the control head could be at fault, but almost never. What happens is that there's a rheostat basically built into that little stepper motor. And when you start the truck, it goes all the way to one extreme, then all the way back to the other extreme, and it measures the range. Then it looks at battery voltage, and it converts it from 12 volts to 5 volts. It divides it by, I think it's 360, and I might be wrong on that number, but it divides it into a certain number of counts. And then it says, okay, half this number of counts is the middle position. So that's where it's going to be neither hot or cold. It'll be neutral. Then the body module will pulse it, and it'll tell it to move either positive or negative from there, whether it wants hot or cold. And zero volts will be right in the middle. Plus three volts might be to hot. Minus three volts may be partially to cold. Of course, five volts will be all the way hot. Five volts negative will be all the way cold. But that's the way it works. Now, if that little rheostat does not read, then that's going to be a, a fly in the ointment. And you can go in, if you got, the Ford tool is called an IDS. You have to go in with an IDS, and you can actually read the counts coming from the actuator. If you've got counts, they're rising, they're falling like they should, then you're into the control head. If you do not get the proper counts, then more likely you're into the actuator or one of the wires going to the actuator. It has to have a 5-volt reference, it has to have the ground, and it has to have the output wire, and it has to have a 12-volt reference. And if that one is the only one doing it, it's most likely going to be in the actuator. Now, if they're all doing it, I've seen a weak battery cause that problem because you don't have a full 12-volt reference when you start the vehicle. And it'll, they'll freak out, man. You'll start blowing hot air when you're supposed to blow cold and all that when you get a weak battery. Yeah, it's just on the side my wife rides it. Uh-oh. <laughs> you in trouble now, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would figure it's probably going to be the actuator, but I'd want to confirm that with a Ford IDS just to make sure. And most right. good shops are going to have that, too. And is that a complicated part to change? you got to pull the dash? It may be, Kelly. I can't tell you off the top of my head on 2010 just because I haven't done enough of them. Some of them you can get to with a partial disassembly. You can pull the glove box out or something like that. Some of them you do have to remove a fair amount of the dash to get to. It just depends on where they decide it and their infinite wisdom to stick it. Or should I say stick it to you? (laughs) Yeah, I understand that. I understand. Yeah, I don't know if I want to go in pulling a dash on it. Some of them are pretty tough. I'd probably get someone who knows what they're doing. No, we do a lot of the GM because they fail a lot. The left one is a piece of cake, probably less than an hour to change it. The one on the right is probably about two to two and a half hours. And then some of the others are about four or five hours. You have to actually pull the dash out. Yeah, okay. All righty. Thank you, Lewis. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Kyle. All right, bye-bye. All right, we're going to take one more quick little break. Don, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Mike Rohn here with Baton Rouge's newest talk show, My Oh Mayan, dedicated to helping people who thought the world would end December 21st, 2012. Caller, you're on the air. Mike, I'm up the creek. So what did you do? I maxed out all my credit cards, sold my stocks, my house, and my boat so I could travel the world before the world ended. Kept my 85 Mustang, though. Well, one thing I can recommend is to take your car in for regular maintenance at Agco Automotive. By taking care of your car, you'll save money in the long run by not having to pay for huge repairs. And with the money you save, you can pay down some of that debt. If you want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. There's one other 
big problem. I sold all my vital organs on a website in Uzbekistan, and now someone named Aziz keeps showing up on my caller ID. Well, mm, lay low, brother. Lay low. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we've got Don on the line. Good morning, Don. Yes, sir. Just a real quick general question. I'll hang up and listen. You said 40 to 50 computers, all these different codes, two trip. Is all this necessary to run a car? <laughs> and I'll hang up and listen. Don, no, in my opinion, there is so much complexity on a car now that is just basically engineering for engineering's sake. And I don't know if it's because we got a bunch of automotive engineers sitting out there making six figures who have to keep coming up with new stuff to justify their job, or if, I don't know, they get paid by the foot on wire or what the deal is. There is so much complexity on a car that it's actually mind-boggling. They may take, for instance, like the older car... When you want to turn the temperature up or down, you had a little mechanical knob, and when you turned it, it moved a little cable, which moved the door back and forth. Well, that is old days. Yeah, but I mean, the entire <laughs> system probably cost five bucks to build. Yeah, and it still works today. It lasted the life of the car. I mean, Sorry. 60 years later, it still worked perfect. Worst case, the cable jammed up, and it cost you three bucks to put a cable in there. It took you 10 minutes to do it. Right. Well, now what we've got is serial data going over a network, canned data. So you got a real stat that you're turning, which sends a message to the body control module, sends a number of counts back to an actuator motor, turns the motor, sends an acknowledgement. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got $1,000 worth of hardware and software to do a simple function. Right. It breaks constantly, and when it breaks, you got to pull the dash out, and it costs 1500 bucks to fix. Yeah, but that's what you got nowadays. Oh, yeah, yeah, it just incredible and the newer the cars are the, the worse, worse they get yeah. yeah this is absolutely getting just bizarre i went to a society of automotive engineers convention and i just like to go there i just kind of slip up in there i'm not really yeah, an engineer by trade but you know i slip on up in there go to the bar try to start talking i'm talking to this guy and he's telling me about this new design they've got where they're going to put a the roof of the car will be a photo cell uh-huh and the photocell will produce electricity, which will help to subsidize the alternator and cut the load on the engine. Okay. And I'm saying, well, that's interesting. How much is this going to save the driver? And he looks confused. I mean, eyes roll back in his head. What do you mean? Never thought of that. Yeah, he never thought of that. But it's green. It saves energy. No, no, no. That's not the answer to everything. How much is it going to save the driver? Exactly. Well, it's going to save about a quarter mile to the gallon. Oh, okay. a quarter mile to the gallon. Now, you got a whole roof panel made Let's out see, of a now, solar cell. Let's see. Now, at six bucks a gallon, that's going to save the average driver about five bucks a year, right? There you go. Yeah, okay. That's great. Now, let me ask but you this. Green. Yeah, but it, but it saves energy. You know, when little Bobby next door hits a pop fly, it goes straight up and comes down in the middle of your solar cell, what does it cost to replace it? Again, his eyes go blank. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, when a branch falls out of my tree and hits this, or when I go to the mall and some thug takes his fist and hits my solar cell and breaks it, what does it cost to replace it? That or a hailstorm comes and yeah, knocks uh, it out. It's about $5,000. Oh, okay. And this makes sense to you. And how long does that take to recoup? But it's green. It saves energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not the answer to everything. Exactly. You know, we got to look at overall cost here, overall lowest cost. And I think... What the engineers have done, they've just lost sight of the fact they're building cars for people. 
You're not building cars to meet regulations or to satisfy government demigods. We're trying to build cars that meet people's needs and save people money. Or at least that's my idea. All right. I hear you. Maybe I'm just that big of a dinosaur. I just don't understand the concept. But we all make cost-benefit analysis every single day of our life. Sure, everything you do. Everything you do. You walk in a restaurant and say, boy, that T-bone steak sure looks good. How much is it? $40. Whoa, bring it me the chicken. Look, it, don't look, yeah, <laughs> it don't look that good. Yeah, I just made a cost-benefit analysis. Exactly. I mean, you look at a laptop. Here's one with a gajillion features on it. How much is it? $3,000. No, how much is this one? It's $300. There you go. Yeah. That's the one I need right that, there. That's the one it does what I need it to do. It does everything I need to do at a price I want to pay. But what has happened, rather than put that choice to the driver in the form of options, what we do now is we either just put it on all of them or the government mandates it. It's on there. Exactly. You're going to get it, you're going to pay for it, and you're going to pay for the maintenance on it. Right. And, I mean, I could sit here and talk the rest of the show about stuff like that. Good example just kind of a, I guess, one of my pet peeves is like the tire Tire pressure monitoring system (laughs) where they went in, they just mandated this on the car. And this comes on. Of course, when you got a low tire, it tells you tire's low. Well, that's great. But the thing is, it requires about $1,000 worth of hardware that you're paying for. Most people ignore it because the light comes on the first time they get it fixed. It costs them four or $500. Right. The second time, they're not going to do that, so they just ignore the light. Well, in 10 years, the batteries are dead. So you all the batteries all go dead. All four sensors, all five, five sensors are 200 bucks a piece. And so you're talking a thousand bucks parts right. and plus labor plus the programming to get all this junk working against you never used in the first place. So what's happening is that a pretty large number of cars that come in the shop that lights on and you ask the customer, Are you worried about no, that's been on, I'm not worried about it. I'm not right. gonna spend the money to fix it. So it's doing absolutely no good, but it's in there. Another example, of course, in 2012, they mandated traction control in a car. And if you got a 2012 or newer car, it's on there. You may not know it. You probably won't ever know it until, until it breaks. Well, when the check money light comes on. Right. And then you bring it to shop. What's that light? Well, that's your traction control system. What's that? About 1800 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> it's some little gadget or gizmo that you never, ever use. You wouldn't have bought. You didn't need. But it's in there. Right. And now it's broke. The light's on. You can't get an inspection sticker or whatever. But it's just so, so much of that piled layer upon layer upon layer on the car now. And what they're putting stuff that people say they want on vehicles now, and you're running out and buying it. Mm -hmm. And if we would just slow down or stop buying this stuff, they would have to come back to reality. Well, I think so. I guess in the end, everything comes back to the consumer because truly we are in control, even though we don't realize sometimes. It's kind of like the, the filth and the garbage on TV. Right. Well, the reason it's on there is because people are watching it. Right. <laughs> quit watching it If you go quit away. watching it and you quit start boycotting all the people who advertise during those shows, they'd go away. There you go. Real fast, but they're not going to go away. You right. know, it's kind of like porn on the internet. Everybody gripes about it, but, but apparently they get a lot of hits. Right. <laughs> or it wouldn't be on there. I'm not making judgments on people, but I'm just saying... If you want it to go away, you just have to quit buying it or refuse to buy it, and then you'll see it start to go away. Right. But, yeah, there's just so, so many layers of this garbage. And I know it's cool when you buy the car, you know, hey, this sinks to my iPod, and yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, that's great. But, you know, the thing is, before you finish paying for this car, in five years, you're still going to go a year on this thing. iPods will be gone. They'll be on to the next technology. You can have this feature that doesn't do absolutely anything because nobody's using that anymore. That's right. It's kind of like having a car with eight-track tape player in a dash. Boy, you are old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my best features, man. <laughs> but what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Or let's say you gone. got a CB radio. You ain't got nobody to talk to. You might, you might find a trucker or two that'll right. talk to you. but Yeah, most of that's gone. Yeah, all that technology passes right on away, and then you're stuck with a car. You're still making payments on it. And you got all this technology that you can't use, don't want. And and even back in the 8-track days, you had a radio that played 8-tracks. Mm-hmm. The next thing come along, you could take that radio out. You could put another radio in, adapter it, in there that played the 
the moderns. And when that went away, you got some another radio. Yeah, but you, you can't, can't do, do that, that now. now. No, you take the radio out and the car won't run. That's right. Because it doesn't see that computer. It's tied to the body module. It's tied to the, the power control module. It's tied to the IPC. It's tied into the right, it's CAN in the network. network. And if you take, a lot of people don't realize that you pull a radio out of your car, the car's not going to run. It's not going to start. That's right. It's part of the computer system. And it's done that way intentionally to keep you from stealing radios. Uh-huh. And that's great, except that it's also a huge inconvenience when your radio breaks. you got to fix it because the car won't run. And you can't yeah. take it out and put what you want because the car won't run. Exactly. <laughs> I it's say let's just get rid of the car thieves and, and, and radio thieves. Well, and, there you go. go <laughs> ad- back, address it directly. But go back you, to the good days. Yeah, that's just, things don't work that way anymore. <laughs> no, no, they don't. But yeah, that's a real good question. And you know, is all this complexity necessary? Absolutely not. There are simple ways to do almost everything on the car. It used to be there was a time when we relied on mechanics and physics to accomplish just about everything we wanted. Right. Went to the Army Air Corps Museum at Wright-Patterson, and I'm looking at all these warbirds, and most of them don't have an electronic component in them. That's right. It's all mechanical. You got this B-17. It flew all the way from the United States over to England. It went from England to Germany at least 25 times, uh-huh. maybe more, with flak and everything else in the world shooting at it. Right. <laughs> the thing made every mission. You could blow two engines off one wing, and it'd still, still make fly. it back to England, still fly. Everything on it is mechanical. Right. It relies on physics. It relies on mechanics. And that is going to work every single time. And that's where your cars used to be. Yeah. You're not going to have the intermittent problems. Well, it does this and this and this and this. And there's no way to ever find that. And, you know, this electrical circuit heats up and it goes out and yeah, 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 yeah. Right. With physics, it always works, man. That's right. You had a, you had a <laughs> physical link. Well, between two components, and that's the way it works. That's one reason you use hydraulic brakes. That's because right. hydraulics are always going to work. That's right. And when it's got to work, then you got to use something like that. We don't <laughs> want electronic brakes. No. Just any engineers listening, we don't want electronic brakes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you can do it. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much we enjoy them listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and give us a written rating. Yeah, that's kind of our little reward we get at the end of the week. I like to go to iTunes and we get an extra rating or two on there it really kind of makes our day so that bumps us up in the ratings on that's the site. right more people can hear us and we want to tell everybody how much we thank them and preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend